y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Chats in the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa and I'm your host. Today we're talking all about careers. Mark is coming on and he's going to talk to us about his book called The Career Toolkit Book. And even if you are not even thinking about a career right now, or you're thinking about what kind of career you want, if you're just got out of college and you're not really sure what's your next step, if you're in high school and not sure what your next step is, then this book is for you. I put it in the show notes where you can find the book, and I hope you really enjoy this chat. So you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today, we're going to be talking all about career, college graduation, where we should go next. And Mark, I think you're the man with the plan with all this stuff. But before we get into that, let's talk about who Mark is as a person. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show today. You're welcome. So my background, it kind of goes in two directions. I graduated from MIT quite a while back and started my career as a software developer. Now, I knew early on I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. But in order to be kind of the head programmer, I knew it wasn't just about being the best programmer. In order to be a CTO, in order to run a department, I had to know leadership skills. I had to know how to hire people, how to work with customers, how to manage. And none of these skills were ever taught to me in school. None of it's really taught to any of us. So I had to learn these skills for myself. And once I started interviewing people, I could ask them a technical question. How do you do this accounting or marketing or software? And they'd give me the answer. But then I would ask a question like, what makes someone a good teammate? What are some of the communication challenges you might find on this job? And I'd get blank stares because no one else has taught this either. So I set out to train up my team And around the same time, MIT was recognizing these shortcomings and they put together a program. So I got in touch with them and they said, why don't you help us develop the program? And then they asked me to help teach as well. And that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years, primarily at MIT, but also at other schools. And these skills are not just for MIT students, they're not even just for undergrads. These skills like networking, negotiation, leadership, communication, they apply to each and every one of us from solopreneurs to corporate employees to business owners throughout our careers. So why why do you think it's not taught? Why do you think they don't teach that? That's a great question. It has to do with the history of our educational system. Our secondary school, our high school system here in the US was designed to give us the basics to function in society. So reading, writing, arithmetic, if you can do that, You can go buy a product at the grocery store and pay the correct amount of money and get the right change. 
and that's really good enough, right? They weren't trying to teach us how to really succeed in life, but just be basic functional. Then we have the university system. Now the university system dates back about 800, 900 years. It's run by academics. And now I teach in the university system. There's many good things about it, but one of the problems is who runs the accounting department? Accountants. Who runs the chemistry department? Chemists. And so when you go get your degree, what do they do? They say, take a whole bunch of chemistry classes. Oh, and the university says, yeah, take a, take a math, take a history, take a literature, just so you're well-rounded. But in the end, when they give you a degree, when they give you, say, that marketing degree, they're saying, we, we the experts, the academics, the PhDs, have verified that you have attained a certain amount of marketing knowledge or chemistry knowledge. That's all we're saying. We're not saying you'll be a great employee. We're not saying you'll be effective. We're just saying you've learned about this narrow area and not all the other skills you need to succeed. Wow. And you would think that, you know, because nowadays people are so into technology that they don't even know how to really have face-to-face -face conversations as well. So you would think that would be something they would teach in school. Unfortunately, these are the things that kind of fell between the cracks. If you go back 150 years, we'd learn this from our families, right? But now as we have two parents working and they're out of the home, as we have a lot less interaction between parents and children, right? 150 years ago, what happened after dinner? Well, you'd sit and talk to your parents. What happens now? Well, they're on the computer, you're on the phone. You just don't get that level of interaction. And so we've lost a lot of that, that training, a lot of that skill set. So you have a book called The Career Toolkit, but you also have an app too. So let's first talk about the book, The Career Toolkit. Sure. The book itself, it's broken up into three sections. And the skills I list there, these are not just, hmm, Mark had this idea and thinks this is important. This comes from feedback that we've gotten at MIT and at other universities where companies are saying, here are the skills we want and we're just not able to find it. We wish we had more people with these skills. Section one, career skills. How to create a career plan. When you think about that job you want five, 10 years down the road, how do you create a plan to actually get there? Of course, it won't be set in stone, so it's how do you adjust it and revise along the way? Chapter two, working effectively. How do you manage your manager? How do you understand the value you're providing at the company? How do you fit into corporate culture, deal with corporate politics? We never talk about this. And if you get it wrong, it's going to really hurt your job prospects. If you get it right, it's going to advance it. Chapter three is interviewing. Now, there's lots of books on interviewing. I look at from the hiring manager's perspective. This is something else. Most of us, at some point in our careers, will be responsible for hiring. Even if you're never a manager, you'll be part of the team. But no one ever trains us how to do it. And even as a candidate, knowing how the hiring manager is thinking, knowing how the person on the opposite side of the table is thinking, that's going to make you more effective. Second section, leadership and management. And management might break down to people management, how to motivate people, how to build teams, and then process management, how to actually think about putting everyone working together effectively. Here again, it doesn't mean you do this once you hit this level, once you have that manager title or director or leader title. These skills all of us use from day one. If you've ever worked in a team with someone, you've managed those people. You just didn't have authority over them, 
figuring out like, okay, can you do this? Or you don't want to do it. How do I get you to do that? Or how do you divide it up? Those are management skills. And then the last section, last section, interpersonal skills, communication, negotiation, networking, and ethics. And if you think about networking, we've all heard that, right? Networking is so important. We've heard it so many times. Everyone keeps telling this to us, but no one sats down to say, by the way, here's how to actually network. If it's so important, why aren't they teaching it to us? That's because schools aren't designed to teach you these skills. They're designed to teach you those narrow discipline skills. Well, I'm going back to the manager thing that you were talking about. You need those skills because once you, if you do become a manager, you don't, you want to be able to know how to lead automatically and not try to bluff your way through basically. Correct? Absolutely. That's actually one of the biggest transitions because when you're an individual contributor, when you go from, let's say, junior marketing person to marketing person to senior marketing person, and you're creating campaigns and you're thinking about how to market and you're getting the right number of clicks or however you're doing it, important skills. But once you become the director of marketing, not only are you responsible for all those clicks and all those campaigns, but now you're managing people and you never did that directly before. You never consciously thought about for most of us. And you have a whole new set of responsibilities that you probably haven't been trained for. So it's important to start developing those skills even before you get to that role. And that goes along too with the interpersonal skills as well, because if you are not able to interact with people, then how can you manage and lead a team? Exactly. And these skills, you hit upon a key point. There are a lot of books that are just about negotiations, just about leadership, just about communication. And they're great books, and I would recommend reading them. But most people first aren't going to read 10 separate books. And to your point, these skills reinforce each other. A good leader knows how to negotiate. A good negotiator knows how to communicate. You have to put these skills together holistically if you want to be really effective. I love that. Now, this book in particular, was it written for college graduates coming out, high school graduates coming out, or was it a wide range when you were first starting to think about this? It's a wide range. Although I have been teaching at the college level for years, I've also used this in my volunteer work, in my managing, in my mentoring. I've helped people not only in different industries and different roles, but people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s and 60s. I've met people in those categories who said, boy, I wish I learned how to negotiate or network or even how to interview. I never thought about this before because these are universal. So anywhere you are in your career, you can use these skills. And if you get them when you're coming out of high school or college, fantastic. You're going to get a better head start than so many of your peers. Which brings me to the point that we were to, uh, that I when I we were lining up this interview, I was saying that I have a daughter who's graduating college in in May, you know, and she's like at, really doesn't know what she wants to do now. She doesn't know if she wants to stay and just not do anything for a year, or just go immediately go out and look for her job in her career field, or stay and just work the job that she's working now. So, what do you say? How can you help the newly college graduates navigate this field? Yeah, let's talk about that from two perspectives. So first, for new college grads, it's okay if you don't know exactly what you want to do. You're not obligated to. I start the book in Chapter 1 Career Plans with a bunch of questions. What do you want to have life? Now, it gets a little more directed than that. Think about your financial goals. Where do you want to live? If you're really excited to be the king of Wall Street, but you also want to live on a farm, 
that's going to be a little bit of a challenge because if you want to rise to the top on Wall Street, you're in a major metro area, mm -hmm. right? So you have to recognize these trade-offs. When do you want to have a family? If your idea of fun is getting a consulting job where you're on the road and you're flying around traveling five days a week, and that sounds great, not conducive for meeting your significant other. Mm -hmm. And when you're 40, the idea of spending five hour, five days a week on the road, that might be less appealing. So we ask a bunch of questions and you can download these questions for free off the website. You don't even have to buy the book. That's gonna get you to start thinking about what, what you wanna do in life. And then you wanna to talk to people in the careers you're considering. What's it really like? So a common mistake, a, a very visible example is law. Now we all know what lawyers do because we all grew up watching TV. Mm -hmm. right? We've all seen our favorite law show. We've all seen the movies, the dramatic, you know, I want the truth. Now, if you ask any lawyer, that is not what they do. Most lawyers never even go into a courtroom. And if you ask, say, a 17-year-old, what do you think a lawyer does? And then compare it to what a lawyer actually does, they are night and day. And this is true to a lesser extent for so many of our jobs. So talk to people in the industries you're thinking of. You can rely on people you know, maybe people your parents know. If you're in college or a graduate, go to your alumni database. Look up people with those jobs and reach out. Most people are happy to talk about what they do. So you can start to create that plan. And the thing is, it's not about, I have one path. This is how I have to go. Mm -hmm. There is a spectrum. And you say, well, I want to go in this direction as opposed to that direction. And that's fine. But you want to recognize that you're consciously kind of moving towards something and not just wandering around and going nowhere. The second thing I would suggest is thinking about the return on investment that you're gonna get from investing in these skills now. Let's take negotiations. So we'll take your daughter, imagine she gets a job offer and it's $50,000, but she learned to negotiate. So she negotiates just a little bit, she gets 51,000. Okay, right, not a huge amount. So 51,000 and she holds this job for 40 more years. What happens? She just got $40,000. One negotiation, couple minutes, just earned her $40,000. Isn't that worth reading a negotiation book? Isn't that worth learning to negotiate, spending 10, 20 hours? But of course, we know she's not gonna be in that job for 40 years. She's gonna get raises, she's gonna get promotions, she's gonna get other jobs. If she learns to negotiate, she is going to be earning tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars more over her career. It is so worthwhile to do that. We think about whatever her field is. Again, marketing, software. Okay, I have to learn the, the skills. I have to learn the knowledge and the discipline. Learn that knowledge. But if you also learn to negotiate, huge impact. And when you learn to lead or communicate better, it's not as obvious. It's not an immediate, oh, Okay, you're a better leader. Here's a thousand dollars more. Mm -hmm. But if you are that slightly better leader, you stand out, you get more opportunities, and then you'll get more promotions and better jobs. It just won't be as visible as here's a thousand dollars more. So, to any college grad, start to invest in these skills today. And so, how can they invest in the skills besides picking up a book and reading it? Because I know the last thing I know a lot of college graduates want to do now is pick up a book because they're pretty much like, oh, I don't want to look at a book. So how can they develop those skills? These skills are very different than what you've learned in college. When I think about studying physics in college, 
we'd sit down, the professor would say, okay, here's where we left off at this equation. And then she'd sit there for the next hour and just write equations on the blackboard and we'd scribble them down as fast as we could, trying to keep up. Now that's knowledge transfer. That's saying, I know the equations and I am passing them to you. And that's great for knowledge of physics, knowledge of marketing. That's great for knowledge transfer. There is no formula for leadership. There is no algorithm for networking. You can't write down these three steps and suddenly you're a better communicator. It's complex. The way we want to learn this, the way we teach at MIT, the way all the top business schools teach it is to have peer learning groups. What does this mean? You can take, we'll start with my book, but it doesn't have to be my book. If you take my book, you say, okay, we're gonna read the first half of this chapter and then we're going to discuss it because you create a group with your friends, with your coworkers. If you don't have any of either of those, start a local meetup group, but you want to get people together, ideally with different backgrounds, different perspectives. So when we talk about, we say, okay, you know, I would look at this situation. I think about leading this way. What about you? Oh, that's a really different perspective. I never would have thought about that. And so now I have a better understanding. And even if I don't want to lead the way you lead, because there's more than one right answer here, I'm now just more aware of ways I can lead. I might recognize when someone's not very responding. Maybe I, it's not what I naturally do, but I'm going to take in a little of your leadership or recognize that person over there who, ah, I don't really like this boss of mine, the way he, he leads. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's using a different style. So you want to have this communication. Now, of course, I said, you know, yes, you can use my book. I don't want this to be seen as like, this is a ploy for Mark to sell his book. Mm -hmm. You can use other books. And on the website, on the resources page, I list a whole bunch of other great books that you can use. You can also listen to great podcasts like this one. And you and your friends, after hearing a wonderful podcast episode, sit around and discuss it. It is that discussion that makes it so much more effective. And in terms of thinking about how to do this, on the resources page on the website, there's a free download. That's how you can set up one of these groups at your company or on your own. You also brought up a good point just there. And you're talking about identifying the leadership skills because you have to kind of pivot sometimes with your leadership skills because not everybody responds to the same type of leader, correct? Absolutely. Same thing with our communication, same thing with negotiation approaches. There's more than one answer, right? This is so different than college because in college, there was one answer. Right? You put it on the test and it, you try to get as many of those answers as you could. But in life, it's not so clear and obvious. And that's why you really want to build up this diversity of perspectives. When you read a book, when you listen to someone like me, you're going to get one. And that's great. But I would say breadth is more important than depth at an early part of your career and get exposed to these other ideas. So even if you don't formally create one of these groups, I do think you should, but even just informally, talk with your friends, talk with your peers, talk with your coworkers, just to start expanding your larger understanding of each of these skills and getting those different perspectives. Now you keep bringing up the point about talking to people. There's a lot of people I know that are listening. There are probably introverts that are like that little thing terrifies them. So what kind of tips can you give to them for that? Because I know that would have a long time ago, that would have terrified me. So I am an introvert myself. I can relate. Don't think of this as I have to go out and talk to a bunch of strangers. 
First, these can be people you know. And it doesn't matter that this person you've probably known since you were a kid works in a completely different field than you do. Talk to this person, say, hey, I know you're a manager. What's that like? What do you wish you knew when you first came out of school? What things should I be thinking about focusing on? Right? So you can, you can ask people you know. They don't have to be in your field. But even if you go to a stranger, whether it's someone you know or a stranger, here's the secret. People like talking about themselves. Mm -hmm. People love talking about themselves. And when you say, tell me about your job. Tell me about what you do. Tell me about why you like it. Tell me about what you think. You are flattering their ego. Like, wow, you are valuing my opinion. I could talk about this all day. So don't be nervous. You're not imposing on their time. If you are, they will tell you. But in fact, they will be so flattered that you value what they have to say. They will find it a very enjoyable experience. I also, to some point, also people also recognize when you're trying to kind of suck up to somebody too, like if you're like a boss and stuff like that. So let's talk about the kind of the detriments of what sometimes you can go overboard a little bit. As long as you're sincere, it's fine, right? Don't ask about someone's kids. It's just, Hey, how are you? How's your daughter doing? You know, showing interest, showing concern. But if it's, Oh, and um, yeah. Oh, and tell me about your daughter, right? I'm not clearly interested in it. I'm just bringing this up because I feel I have to. As long as you're sincere in your interest, right? And people can tell. All of us know, is someone genuinely interested or not? Are they asking follow-up questions? Are they engaged in the conversation? And if you're asking about things you care about, you will be engaged and it will come off as sincere. Now, you said in the very beginning um, of your book, it talks about career planning. So would you suggest that people, maybe as kids as early as junior high, high school, get the book to start thinking about um, career or no? Junior high might be a bit early. High school, it's not a bad time to start to explore the topics, your career plan, but even some of these other topics like negotiations, communication, these are great topics you can start learning even in high school. And you can do so where you can talk about with your teachers, obviously your peers, your parents. It's not a book, again, you wanna read alone and particularly as you're younger in high school, be sure to talk with others about this. I think that's a great time to develop these skills because when you get to college, if you're better about building your networks, college is this amazing time where there's a lot of people who are going to go on to do lots of different things. Wouldn't it be great if you knew how to start your network back then? I blew so many opportunities when I was in college. I remember one time my thesis advisor, uh, I just finished my thesis, and he brought me over to Tim Brenner's Lee. Now, if you don't know who he is, Tim Brenner's Lee invented the World Wide Web. He is the reason we can see each other now. He wow. invented the World Wide Web. My thesis advisor said, oh, this is Mark. He just did this interesting thesis. You should check it out. So I met him. We chatted for a few minutes. Okay, that, that was it. I don't know. What do I do now? <laughs> Never did anything. Boy, if I had kept in touch with him, isn't he a great person to know? Isn't he a great person to have a relationship with? But I had no idea how to do it. So building these skills, communication, when you get into college, and you're now dealing with people who come from very different backgrounds, right? Not everyone's from your community and background. Learning how to communicate with them, learning the different communication styles 
it's going to help you so much in being more effective and avoiding conflicts. So these skills, I would definitely say, if you can start learning as a high school student, it is fantastic. And these skills not only apply to career path and your job, but also applies to life as well. Absolutely. It's going to apply when you're engaged in social activities, in hobbies. It will apply to some of the friendships you create and other types of relationships. These are universal skills because we know communication and negotiation and even team building don't just happen in the office. They happen all around us in our engagements. So you wrote the book. What led you to actually put it pen to paper and actually sit down and write it? For years, I was saying to MIT, we know this works. We've been doing this for decades. We know the impact it has on students. And we also know it's not just MIT students who need this. Let's take this content. Let's get out there and share it with other people. And MIT is very good about sharing information, but for various reasons, we didn't have the resources to do that. Likewise, when we teach it to our students, we teach it to them throughout the year. Sometimes parts of it's in the fall, over January, but they don't really apply these skills in the workplace until the summer. And yes, you can apply them in college, but most people are just focused on doing their homework and not thinking about it. So now we've taught them throughout the year and they finally get to their summer job and they've forgotten most of it. So my original plan, I was just gonna write down about 20 pages of notes to give to the students to make it available to them. And I did not plan to write a book, but 20 pages quickly ballooned and we now have the book and the app. So let's talk about the app. What made you decide to make it an app as well? My neighbor suggested an app and I said, she said, do an app, you know, that'll, that'll help the book. She's a marketer. I said, okay, well, what should the app do? I said, I don't know, do an app. <laughs> okay, great, that, that's right up there with, oh, sell a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, great, good thinking. But I thought about what would, what would an app do? What would make it useful to people? Now, we know from teaching this problem I just mentioned, you learned something two months ago, the odds you remember two months later, eh, pretty slim. Right? I know I read books like this, I go, oh, this is great, and then I forget it a few weeks later. Mm -hmm. But we also know from education, spaced repetition works. Right, Spaced repetition, you read it once, you hear it again next week, you look again the week after that, it reinforces it. We all know this, we know it works. So let's take what's in the book. So if you took a high layer to the book, here's a key point, here's a key tip, here's a good quote. This is stuff that's gonna jog your memory. I put all into the free app, it's available, you can go to the website and that will take you to the Android and Apple stores, free to download. You don't even need to open the app. The app will pop up each day one of the tips. So it's like a daily affirmation, except it actually has practical advice and not just blowing smoke uh, to make you feel better. And so you just go, oh, right, that was a good tip, swipe it away. Or the other thing, and this is a change I think needs to happen with all books. Books are how we transfer information. Now you're gonna read the book sitting on the couch. You're not gonna build your network sitting on a couch. You're not gonna interview sitting on a couch, right? Maybe during the pandemic, but hopefully yeah. <laughs> soon, you'll actually be employing this advice, not from your couch, but where's the book? Sitting back by your couch. So how do we get the content into your hands where it's useful? If you're about to go into an interview or a networking event or a negotiation, 
you can open up the app and just start going through the tips. You can search for a tip, you can swipe through them. It works a little like the dating app. So you just swipe through the tips and you get that quick refresher. So now you're ready to go into that particular event. So that's why I created the app to take the content, make it more valuable, more useful to the readers. So is there like a search engine on the app that you can like say, okay, I'm I'm going into this interview for nervousness, something to help me with nervousness. Is there something like that? That's exactly it. You would type in nervous and then it would pop up any tip with the word nervous or nervousness. And there are all the things. And I know, again, I remember, you know, you read that book you're like, oh, there was a good point with elephants. There was something about elephants, but I don't remember the point, right? Well, put in elephant, boom, there it is. Oh, wow. So you said it's free to download? It is free to download, free to use. It does not record any data. So you can also just download it and say, you know, before I, before I go for this book, let me just see what some of the advice he talks about. And look, if that's all you want to do, that's fine. I do think it's more useful when you have the context from the book, but feel free to start by downloading that app. So what made you decide to do the app for free and not like free with, you have to in-purchase items and stuff like that with the app. What made you decide to just get, do it free? Partially this book, more than anything else, it's not about making money. It's about helping people. Now, if you take a book and just say, this is a free book, people don't value it. They say, oh, okay, it's free. It can't be that good. So the book, it was important to charge money for it. I also did have to spend some money on cover design and other pieces. There, there's a cost that we bore when we created it, the publisher and I. With the app, I did actually spend money to create the app, but I really think this will be useful. And it's gonna get in the hands of people. And look, it's not about just selling books. If I could sell a million books and no one reads it, okay, I'd make a lot of money, but that's not my goal. If a million people benefit from this, but no one buys the book, I'm happy with that. Wow, and normally you don't see that in the, especially in career fields, people more about the money driven than they are about trying to help other people. So I would love a million downloads of the app and I don't earn a cent. So let's talk about creating the app because honestly, I don't think I've had anybody on yet that had has created their own app. There's one lady that has been on, but she's just in the process of creating one now but you're actually created it, you pushed it out. So let's talk about the process of creating an app. Yeah, this is a great example. I certainly, because I wasn't even thinking of writing a book, I didn't even plan to do an app, right? But there's these things coming together. That's a randomness that happens in our career, but it was a combination of all the things I've done. So of course I have a background in technology, right? I've built software before. I also have a background in marketing. I've even worked in digital media. And thankfully, because I pay attention, I find everything interesting. So even though I'm traditionally a technologist, I've looked at digital media in the past. And at a conference, I heard some really interesting commentary about how media is changing, how we think about interacting with things. Consider, we've had books for hundreds of years. Now let's take some of our most popular books. Let's take, for example, Harry Potter. Okay, Harry Potter, wonderful books. Well, they're also movies, right? Every fiction writer wants their book to be a movie. But what else do people do? Well, there are action figures. Mm -hmm. There are toys. You can dress up. My nephews for uh, the holidays, I got them some Harry Potter magic kits, right? Big Harry Potter fans, they want the magic kit. 
So what happened is J.K. Rowling, she created ideas, right? This wonderful universe. And many of us love to engage with it by reading it linearly in a book. But other people like to engage in movies or by dressing up and playing Harry Potter. And so there's different ways that people want to engage with content. This is how any digital, this is how any content provider really needs to think about their content. Now, this example I gave was for fiction. As I alluded to earlier, from a nonfiction perspective, we've given out traditionally in books and now, okay, you can do a webinar, you can do it different ways, but ultimately it's not, if we just take the book or whatever format, it might not be when, where, and how people want it. And so we as content creators have to think about how we're taking that content and making it available in a way that is most usable to our audience. And that's really what I started thinking about. I think this is going to be the future of books and other types of media. Wow, I would have never thought about creating an app for a book. I mean, honestly, that's just kind of like blowing my mind. Yeah, I, I had either traditionally a book app is just a PDF of the book as an app. Mm -hmm. But thankfully everything aligned and yeah, the app is just one version. I do think we're gonna get more books in app form. And in fact, this led to what's likely to be a side business of mine. When I created this, when I recognized it, I actually didn't even want to build the app. I thought, well, someone surely built this. I'm just going to license it. And no one had. So I went out and filed a patent on it, and we built it as a white label version. What that means is we can take the underlying code and use it for other authors' books, other people's content. So now we can get more authors providing their content in a way that's valuable to their readers. I just love the fact that it's, you're so flexible that you created a whole other business out of creating an app. <laughs> and that's, that's why I would say, especially for young people, take an interest in other areas. One thing I really emphasize, and this I talk about in chapter two, so many people say, well, I'm a software developer. I need to know software. I just need to know coding. I'm an accountant. I just need to know how to do accounting. Don't just focus on your functional area learn about all these different areas, learn about all these different industries, because what's gonna happen is you're gonna get ideas from these other areas, and it's gonna stimulate ideas and opportunity within your own, even within your own company. If you say, well, I'm a marketer, if you spend time talking to sales and product and engineering and operations and understand what they do, you're gonna to start to say, you know, here's an opportunity, but I think if we get operations involved, we can make it even bigger. And that's going to help you discover more value you can add. It's going to make you more effective and really accelerate your career. Plus, too, I think it also helps with maybe if the, your company is downsized and you have to go into a different career field, you already had some little bit of expertise or experience in that career field. So it kind of helps that you diversify a little bit. Absolutely. And this is one thing that's made me more valuable as a CTO, yes, okay, I'm a, I'm a CTO and I can run engineers. Now I can also run product and data science. Areas, not all CTOs necessarily do those areas. Okay, great, I can do that. I've also been the de facto HR person at most of my companies. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been HR. I've run customer success, I've run other areas. And so now as a startup company, when they look and say, we have three CTO candidates and they're all equally good at running the engineers, oh, but this one can help out in other areas. That's just a bonus. And so it does make me more valuable. I love that. So what is up next for you? You have this college 
I mean, a career toolkit book. What's up next? Or you have a, a career toolkit book too, or another app coming out, or maybe a video, song and dance, a movie, whatever. <laughs> That's a great question. Probably I will start to develop out further the white label version so we can get other authors to provide their content out. In terms of the book and that content, that's a good question. I'm going out. If you ever write a book, half the work is writing the book, and then half the book is going and getting the word out about the book. So that's what I'm doing now. And it's important to get feedback from the community, to hear from people, wow, this was helpful, but I have these questions, or I wish it covered this, and to learn what is missing, what's next, what's helpful for the audience. Because it's not just what I think is useful, it's what my audience finds useful. So I'm hoping as I go out, now this is not necessarily very interactive, but feel free to reach out uh, after hearing this podcast. But in other ways, I'm engaging with the audience. And as I get feedback, that's going to direct, is it a volume two? Is it a different type of book? And what can I do to help provide more value to the audience? So that, that brings me to a point. How do you interact? How do you get that feedback? Because that's hard, especially during COVID right now. It's very hard. It is hard. Right now, it's primarily I have a contact form on the website. I'm on social media, so some people engage with me that way. The app also has a feedback form, but in later versions of the app, it's going to be a little while before that these features are out to make it a little more interactive and see how people are using it and get more feedback from them. My hope is once I can start going out in person and doing live events, those tend to be a little more interactive. I have done video events where I've been speaking at companies and colleges and there I do get some interaction, but you're right. It's just, it's not as fun as in real life. So let's talk about speaking at companies and other things. Are they using this particular career toolkit book as part of implementing leadership negotiation skills? Or are you just teaching one specific part of the book to them? Sometimes they'll ask me to come in and focus on just a particular topic. Sometimes it's talking about generally. What I've done, I mentioned this earlier, I think, on the website, on the resources page, there's a download for HR in how to create a training program. And now companies, first, they've severely cut their training budgets. But even once you have it, typically what they do is HR says, okay, I need $10,000. And I'm going to take that. I'm going to send 10 people, my 10 best performers, send them to a leadership training course at $1,000 a person. And 10 people get training and the HR person is just asking for money to go buy something. Mm -hmm. They can take this program. I tell them, take it, cross out my name, put in yours. You can pretend you came up with this all yourself. I don't need credit. And you can develop an internal program in how to train people. Now, what happens? You take that $10,000. Instead, you buy, let's say, 500 books for the same amount of money. Now it's not 10 people, it's 500 people. Now you're not training them with a one day, well, you learned a little leadership. You're training them with a diverse set of skills to a broader audience. You get two added benefits. So one is it increases employee engagement, right? The employees feel connected. The employees are now meeting people from different parts of the office. And so they're building those internal relationships that are still very important in addition to our external relationships. And then also you get a common framework, a common language, because you can talk about, oh, okay, you know, we're having a communication issue. You know what? This is just like that example from the book. You go, oh, right. Okay. I see what's happening. You have that common language. 
And so companies are taking that program and taking this free download and using it to create their own internal programs. And again, you can take my book, you can just download the program, use other books if that's what you want to do. I do want to bring up a point because a lot of companies now are starting to look at mental health and starting to focus on the mental health of their employees. And I noticed in your bio that you do ballroom dancing. So is that one of the things that you do for your mental health to keep kind of your self care? It has been uh, even COVID aside, the ballroom was one of the last things I did before lockdown. Uh, I don't compete anymore. I'm off the competition circuit. So now it's more social and fun, but absolutely getting out, having some type of hobby it's so good just so your your day isn't just work to home, work to home. It gives you something fun and physical activity in particular obviously gets you stimulated and motivated. And the other great thing, it's great for networking too. Now, I didn't start ballroom dancing to build my network. But when I'm at work, I hang around with lots of tech folks. I do tech startup companies. When I go to events and conferences, lots more tech folks. Mm -hmm. Ballroom dancing, lots of non-tech folks. When you have a hobby, it's really going to add a lot of diversity to your network. You're going to meet all sorts of different people. And I've had some great lifelong relationships from the ballroom people I've met. So let's talk about that. It, does your book talk about taking care of yourself at all with your the career, like making sure that you don't get burnt out? Because I know a lot of people that go in their career field within a few years are so burned out because they're working 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week sometimes. I talk about that in chapter one, when you're trying to figure out what you want to do and you're going through this list of questions, the questions aren't simply, what job do I want? It's okay, what types of things do I like to do? Do you want to be out in front of customers? Do you want to be looking at a computer most of the day? How many hours do you want to work? It's fine to say, I only want to work a 40 hour week if that's really important to you. If it is, don't go into big law because you're going to be working 90 hour weeks. It's important to understand this. And so you can ask these questions about, because the questions aren't just about your job, they're about your life. And it's about hours and flexibility and family and impact you want to have on the world. All those questions are going to help inform what job is appropriate for you. And then let's talk about patents as well, because I see you have 14 patents. What in the world? All technology-based. Yeah. Uh, they are, I believe, all technology-based. They're in different fields. And so it just comes from the different areas I've worked in. So some are patents on advertising technology. A lot are in cybersecurity. That's my main background and area. I have the patent on the app. So that's a media one. And you know, patents, it's just something once you learn to do it, it gets pretty easy to just, we all have ideas. And once you know how to patent them, you just say, oh, I'm going to take the idea, go one step further and patent it. I think but, back to some great ideas I had in college. I wish I understood patents back then. <laughs> so for technology patents, are they only for the United States or are they for all across the world? When you file a patent, you can choose if you want to file it internationally. And so you choose jurisdictions. You want to file in Europe, in China, in Japan. And of course, it costs money. Mm -hmm. So you just have to decide, is it worth it to file in those jurisdictions? So are your patents just in the U.S.? Or are they across the board? They tend to be, I don't know, some are fully global. Some are just select countries. And of course, the patents, when you're at a company and you create a patent, 
when you signed your employment agreement, it says, by the way, any ideas you have, we own them. Uh -huh. So I've created these patents. I don't own all the patents. Some belong to companies and they decide if they want to spend the money to go in other jurisdictions. Yeah. Cause uh, I interviewed somebody. Um, he had the million dollar collar where it's basically a little style that a uh, little stay that you put in a plastic stay that you put in your collar for men to wear their collar. So they don't have to wear a tie. And he's like, yeah, going and going to the different places in the different countries, it gets very expensive. So you kind of have to pick and choose. And I did not know that because I would do patents. You would think it would be universal all across the board. It unfortunately is not. It's super complicated. And then even if you have a patent, there's enforcing the patent. <laughs> even if you're right, if you have to go and sue someone, you know, do you really want to spend tens of thousands of dollars in this foreign jurisdiction hoping to sue them and win? And then you have to collect the money and hopefully there's enough money for you to collect that this was all worth in the first place. So it's it's not as simple as I create a patent. There really is a lot more complexity to it. And so that, I guess that's where a lot of the knockoff stuff comes into play as well, right? So it does uh, for a couple of reasons. First is just jurisdictional issues. And I'll give an example. Let me talk about cybersecurity because that's my background. We have the same issue here. Now, if someone in Iowa steals your credit card information or your identity, what do we do? Well, we can go after them. The police can catch that person. They get arrested. Great. What happens if someone in some tiny country that you might not even have heard of stole your identity? Okay, so you file with our police and they send something to some on some overseas police network and they tell the police, you know, we know there's a computer here. We don't even know the person's identity. You know, we figured out an IP address or username. They're stealing information. Local police say, you know, we've got a kidnapping. We've got a burglary. This is low on our list. And even if they do catch and arrest that person, okay, now you're going to try to sue that person. Do the laws even let you do that? And even if you do sue that person and win, do they have money to compensate you? Mm -hmm. And so this is where you get these different jurisdictional issues. I know with patents, I'm not going to call it any country specifically, uh, but some countries that are known for having lots of knockoff goods. What happens? Well, their governments really don't enforce it much. They don't care. It's not their issue. It's not their IP and their people's work that's getting uh, you know, devalued and in fact creates jobs for all those people doing the knockoff work. So they let it happen. So yeah, these are the challenges we have in a multi-jurisdictional world. Yeah, for sure. Now, this book is applicable to, like we said, the beginning high school kids to start learning the skills. College graduates, of course, as they're navigating through college and going into the workforce, but also for the those that are kind of maybe 40s, 50s that are in the executive or maybe not quite in the executive area yet, but they're on their way up or maybe just someone just working in the workplace. Am I correct? Absolutely. If you've ever said boy, I should learn how to negotiate because it's going to help me get those. Maybe it's not $40,000 more over 40 years. Maybe it's only going to be 20,000 more over 20 years, but that's still real money. If you want to get better at negotiating or networking or leading or interviewing or just knowing how to manage your manager, any of these skills, they are valuable to us throughout our career. So it really does apply to all of us. 
So our time is almost up. Is there one little nugget that you can share that can kind of wrap up or anything that you would like to share? That's a, a good question. How do you put it into, into just one? I'd say, again, the key thing, whether or not you get my book, you want to discuss these skills. Go get another book. Keep listening to great podcasts like this one. Get the content anywhere you can, but then discuss it with other people. That is where the real learning happens. And I really want to emphasize that more than anything else. I love that. The bottom line is you don't have to buy the book. You can use your app. You don't even have to use the app, but just get informed and get educated. Correct? Absolutely. Well, Mark, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and creating this app. First of all, creating a free app, because a lot of times apps are not free. You have to in purchase stuff. You have to, oh, you can free trial for 30 days and then you got to purchase it. And that's kind of like takes up your your phone space as well. And for creating this um, book, for writing this book. Thank you. It's It's been a fun process and I really do hope it helps lots of people be more effective and successful in their careers. Okay, so where can people find you at? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. And there, of course, you've got the contact page. You can follow me on social media, learn more about the book, including if you hit the buy button, where to buy it, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, eBooks, local bookstores. You can also, from the website, download the free app. You can also go to the resources page, learn other great books, learn about other websites with more information or see how you can set up one of these peer learning programs at your company or organization. All of that at the careertoolkitbook.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right, guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye. I want to thank Mark so much for coming on the show. Um, it was a really great and informative episode, and I hope you really got something out of it. I, Like I said before, I will drop the link where you can find more information about the book and about Mark in the show notes. Thank you for watching. Please like, subscribe, or review wherever you're watching or listening to the show at. Share it with your friends. And as always, be blessed. And remember, keep chatting.